Uh, the title of the message this morning is Chosen, and the, uh, the verse that has kind of stimulated these, uh, these messages is Revelation 17, 14. Last message we looked at called, uh, Revelation 17, 14 said, He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And I see sort of a progression there, called, chosen, faithful. And it's kind of narrowing it down in a way. But it's those that are with the, uh, the triumphant, the risen, conquering Christ there in Revelation 17. So when we looked at called, uh, we did ask the question, who is not called? And uh, because it says many are called and few are chosen, that's the first look at later. But um, who is not called? Well, Jesus said, I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So the righteous aren't called. Now, that is those who are righteous in their own eyes, because Scripture says all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. So Jesus came to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So who does that include? Well, it includes all, because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In Revelation 3.20, um, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Any man, any man, that's inclusive. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight thirty, 30. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls or unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And then uh, in Revelation twenty two seventeen very last chapter of the Bible. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And him that heareth say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. So whosoever will, it sounds like a pretty wide open invitation. Called. So all are called. All are called. Now who are chosen? Because, well, okay, so you start thinking, well, the 12 were chosen. Jesus said, follow me. Uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, obviously chosen to be the mother of Jesus. Uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth were chosen to be the parents of John the Baptist. So we have that kind of chosen. Um, but what did Jesus mean when he said many are called but few are chosen? He said that a couple times. The word, the Greek word, has the idea of invited. Strong says invited, that is appointed or especially a saint. And uh, we won't turn to all these references, uh, but uh, in Romans 1, well, maybe I should just, just briefly call attention to them. This word is used several times in Romans 1. The first verse where Paul says, um, 
called to be an apostle, and I think that that one there is that Greek word chosen. Um, and then, um, no, wait a minute, that is the call. That's where the word called is used. And then in verse 6 it's called, in verse 7 it's called. Those are all the word that's used for called, and that's the one where it means invited. All are invited, all are called, all are invited. And uh, same thing in 1 Corinthians. He used the same several times in 1 Corinthians. And it's used, it's the called in, in uh, Revelation 17, 14, invited. Okay. Now, the word for chosen is a totally different Greek word. And it means select, or by implication, favored. It's translated chosen or elect. And so in Matthew 20, 16, where Jesus said, many are called, few are, cho or few are chosen, and also in Matthew 22, 14, that's the word. It's also the word that's used like in Matthew 24, uh, where Jesus is talking about the end of time uh, and how it's going to be difficult days. And he says, there shall rise false Christ, false prophets, shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. That's his word chosen. And... Um, First Peter, you might want to turn to First Peter. It's uh, used a number of times there. Just gives us trying to get a hold of the uh, the meaning, the way it's used. Um, in First Peter, where it starts out in the first chapter, who he's writing to, the strangers scattered. He said, "Elect according to the foreknowledge of God." That's verse two. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God. And then in chapter two, we have it used several times. In, in verse 4, uh, it says about Christ, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. And then in verse 6, it's talking about Christ. And it says, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone elect. So in verse 4, it's chosen. In verse 6, it's elect, but it's the same Greek word. And then in verse 9, it says, ye are a chosen generation. There's, there's that word again. Um, so what about this thing of being chosen or elected uh, let's turn to Romans 9 read a number of verses in Romans 9 all are called but few are chosen many are called but few are chosen I guess it says okay Romans 9 verse 11 I want to read verses 11 to 21 For the children, this is talking about Jacob and Esau. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? 
for who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing form say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel into honor and another into dishonor? So he says, God does what he wants to. And so, you know, what is it? You just kind of, the hand that's dealt to you, you know, it's just kind of fate, you know, you just, just kind of it. Is that what it's saying? Kind of sounds like it, doesn't it? Well, I was thinking about, it talks about Esau here. It talks about Jacob and Esau. And the scripture in Hebrew says that Esau was a profane person. That's a pretty strong word. Um, it, the Vines Dictionary said it has the idea of moral antagonism. And you know what little bit, well, what we read about Esau, you know, well, he took those heathen wives. And, of course, Hebrews also says he was fornicator. But so we just don't know what all was going on there. But he, it seemed like he had just total disregard for, for God's ways. Now, Jacob, he wasn't a perfect guy by any means. He had his flaws. He even bargained with God, you know, when he was left, left home, he had to leave home because Esau was waiting until, well, just to put it in very earthly terms, he's waiting until the old man died so he could kill Jacob. And, um, and so Rebecca said, you better get out of here. And uh, so he left out. I think he was 77 when he left. But anyway, he went to sleep, you know, in that stone for a pillow and he had that dream and he told God you know if you bring me back I'll, you'll be my God that's kind of a bargain like bargaining with God but he wasn't he didn't have that moral antagonism toward God he had his flaws but he wasn't like Esau and so um, he kind of learned a few lessons along the way too and you know on the way back he wrestled with God and what, it wasn't a wrestling where he was opposing God. He was hanging on to God till he got a blessing. And so, even though he was flawed, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't defying God like Esau was. And so, God knew all that. God knew all that. And uh, let, let's take a look at Pharaoh. I mean, that is, that's an interesting one, too. That, that's in Exodus. You go back to Exodus 5, where um, we first uh, start reading about uh, the, the, the deliverance from Egypt. In, 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 in verse 2, Moses and Aaron, they go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. That's what God instructed Moses to do. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? I mean, he was Pharaoh of Egypt. Very powerful nation. And he says, who's the Lord? That I should obey his voice to let Israel go. I know not the Lord. Neither will I let Israel go. You see that defiance? Well, turn over to verse chapter 6 verse 2 God says I am the Lord 
And he says in verse 6, I am the Lord and I will bring you out. I will rid you. I will redeem you. I will take you. Verse 7, where he says, I will take you. I am the Lord. Verse 8, and I will bring you into the land that he promised Abraham. And I will give it to you for inheritance. I am the Lord. Now, Pharaoh said, who's the Lord? Who's God? And God says, I am the Lord. I am. And I'm going to do these things. Well, then you go on, okay? And so Aaron throws down his rod, becomes a snake. And the magicians, they throw down their rods and become snakes too. But Aaron's snake gobbles up their snakes. So Pharaoh should have been taking notice. And it says he hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then you have the plague of the blood. And the magicians, they did the same thing. And then you have the frogs. The plague of the frogs. And the magicians did the same thing. But it was kind of troublesome. And Pharaoh told Moses, uh, ask the Lord to take the frogs away. And Moses said, okay, when? And <laughs> Pharaoh said, tomorrow. And that's kind of a famous sermon title, One More Night with the Frogs. I mean, he was kind of saying, you know, oh, I'm still kind of in control, you know. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll hold on for another night yet. You, you can see Pharaoh's defiance. So then you have the lice, and here there's a distinction. The magicians couldn't do that one anymore. Then you have the flies, and there's another distinction. Up to this point, the Israelites had experienced the same thing the Egyptians were experiencing. Now when it starts with the flies, I think what that's about the fourth or fifth one, uh, it didn't affect the Israelites anymore. The plague on the cattle, the boils. The boils were so bad on the Egyptians that the magicians, they couldn't attend the meeting when Moses went to Pharaoh. And then you had the plague of the hail, the storm, hail storm. And I think it was there where uh, Moses, uh, Pharaoh told Moses, do you just pray to the Lord for the storm to stop and I'll, I'll let you go. Well, as soon as the storm stopped, he went back on his word, and he did that a couple. And in fact, I think it was that one. It was two of them here towards the end. Pharaoh told Moses, I have sinned. You pray that this will go away, and I'll let the people go. And each time when Moses prayed and it stopped, he went back on his word. So Pharaoh was defiant against God, and you just don't defy the Almighty God. And that explains Romans 9. In fact, thinking about defying God, the, um, the story papers today, Companions, the Truth for Youth page has a very interesting account, very sobering account. God, it says God took him at his word. And it's a little bit similar to that one is one I read years ago. Uh, probably in a tract. It was back in the days when people would make their proclamations in the public square. And uh, this um, 
atheist, uh, he stood up on his box and he was defying. He said, you know, there is no God. If there is a God, strike me down right now. Just strike me down right now. And he went on and on. He got off his box, nothing happened. See, there's no God. And a few weeks later, he was taking a walk in the woods and a gnat got in his eye or some very tiny insect. He got an infection in his eye, it went to his blood and he died. God didn't need a lightning bolt to strike him down. And so it just doesn't, you just don't defy God. And rejecting, rejecting God's plan is maybe not the flagrant defiance like Esau or, Mo or Pharaoh, but it's still defying God, rejecting God. The, the almighty creator, controller of the universe, and also the one who gave his son for our salvation, and to reject that is, it's just not acceptable. Um, let, let's, um, I want to notice something here in Romans 9, and I want to contrast it with Ephesians 1, or compare it with Ephesians 1. So, I'm gonna go to Ephesians 1, and read a number of verses here, and then point out something in relation to Romans 9. In Ephesians 1, read verses 3 to 7, and 11 to 13. Ephesians 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, there's that word chosen, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And in verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now notice in verse 5, it says, Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. According to the good pleasure of his will. Now that's key. And in verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Now, back in Romans 9, 
it says about Jacob and Esau. It, it talks about the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. That's verse 11. And then in verse 16 it says, So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth. So Romans 9 says, What happens is not of works, it's not of him that willeth, it's not of him that runneth. And Ephesians says, it's according to the good pleasure of his will. It's in verse 11, who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. God's plan of salvation is not something that man engineered. And we don't come to God here in Romans 9 of our own works, of our own will, of our own running. Now in a sense, our own will, we do exercise our will, but as far as, as far as, um, What word do I want to use? Developing, planning, providing, establishing the plan of salvation. That was not ours. That's not what we did. That's what God did. God um, I guess I could say designed. God designed the plan of salvation. It's his plan. It's not man's plan. And we either accept it, we either align ourselves with it, or we don't. But we don't have any options to alter it. There are no other options to come to God. And the scripture makes that quite clear. I wrote down here, I was this is what I've been trying to say, I guess. Um, it's not our efforts, our accomplishments, our plan. God planned the way of salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's it. That's the only way. And man tries many, many other ways. This is the only way. God provided, established, predestined, predetermined. That's what it says in Ephesians. It says, having predestinated us unto the adoption of Jesus Christ. This is his predetermined plan that those who accept his plan become his children. That is predetermined. There's no changing it it's God's plan God provided established predestined the plan of salvation there is no other way those who accept that plan are chosen who are the chosen all are invited by God 
the ones who are chosen are the ones who accept his plan of salvation. Those who accept that plan are chosen, determined beforehand to be his children. God is determined. Those are the ones who are going to be his children. And uh, just noticing a number of scriptures that uh, show us that. When Peter was preaching, there on the day of Pentecost, and the people were convicted, and they said, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then when he was before the council, they, they got called before the council because of um, preaching Jesus, and Peter told the council, he said, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That is God's predetermined, predestinated plan of salvation. And that's it. Man, man's works, man's doings will not change that. God has established that. 1 Timothy 2. Verse Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Jesus Christ is the mediator. And again, in Peter's sermon uh, on the day of Pentecost, it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call the name of the Lord shall be saved. He is the mediator. And then John, in, in talking to Nicodemus, he said, um, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And, of course, that is the new birth through Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. And then one of my favorite verses, John, John 1, verse 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And the word power there means authority, right. Those who receive Jesus Christ have the right to be a child of God. Those are the chosen ones. Let's turn to Matthew 22. This is where we have the words, many are called, but few are chosen. Matthew 22, the parable of the marriage feast. Read the first 14 verses. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding and they would not come. Again he sent forth other servants saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed and all things are ready, come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. 
So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all, as many as they found, both good, bad, and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. When the king came in to see the guest, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? He was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. So um, the parable, the, the Pharisees realized that this parable was spoken against them because God had chosen Abraham. God had chosen the children of Israel to be his people. And they rejected him. They rejected him. They crucified him. And so it's kind of a, what all Jesus was telling them there, but um, the ones that were invited, the ones that were called, didn't accept the invitation. And so there were more that were gathered up. Now, I don't know how far, how much, how, you know, they say in a, in a parable, don't try to make everything, don't try to find a meaning for every little thing. Um, but so the ones that were not, the ones that were invited and did not accept the invitation, there were others then that were, that were called and evidently they came. Now, in a way, this kind of um, perhaps um, sets us up for the last aspect of that verse in Revelation, called, chosen, and faithful. I would say the one without a wedding garment. Well, there again, maybe I should study that parable a little bit more, exactly what that means, the one without a wedding garment, but I'm just thinking, you know, in that verse, I see kind of a narrowing down. All are called, and then not all accept the invitation. In fact, I was thinking too, I didn't get this in my notes, but I was thinking about Matthew uh, 7, where, where Jesus said um, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, He said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. And so all are called, many are called, few are chosen. There's only a few, that, comparatively speaking, relatively speaking, there are only a few that go in at the narrow gate. And why is that? Why is that? I mean, why choose destruction over life? Because it says, straight is the gate and there is the way which leads into life. You there be that find it, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Why choose a way of destruction over a way of life? Well, it says the way to destruction is broad and the way to life is narrow. And we're born, we're born with a bent to evil. We're born with a bent to independence. 
we're born with a bent to selfishness. And I think it's Romans talks about that too. So if we're kind of born with two strikes against us, um, so we blame God for that. I mean, why has he set us up for failure? Maybe it's in Romans. Anyway, it says, God's provision in Christ is way more than what we lost in Adam. We have no excuse. God's plan of salvation, Jesus on the cross, offers us way more than what we lost in Adam. So we can't, we, we, we can't accuse God because he went, well, again, this is earthly language, but he went the second mile, he went the third mile, he went the tenth mile or whatever when he provided Jesus Christ. But it's still a narrow way. And so there again, called, chosen, and faithful. So we want to look at that the next time, faithful. But one more thought yet. Um, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Receive him, have the right to be a child of God. To them that believe on his name, and that word believe means total trust. And so, Ephesians 1, we read that verse already, having predestinated us unto the adoption by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Sometimes adopted children struggle a little bit. Well, I'll tell you what, we're all adopted. And uh, it's a beautiful thing to be adopted. And it's especially beautiful to be adopted by God. And we can, we're all in that camp. And read just a few more verses yet from Galatians 4, 4 to 6. But when the fullness of time was come, again, God's plan, not man's doings, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So I have a heavenly father because I'm adopted into the family of God. Romans 8:15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. I'm so thankful I have a heavenly Father. Let's kneel for prayer.